Welcome to the Core Kinetic Podcast. My name is Ben Cormack and I will be your host. The Core Kinetic Podcast aims to bring you clinically relevant information on topics throughout the clinical world. Also, some very, very special guests along the way bringing you their expertise. We hope to deliver this with fun, flexibility and also some good, solid, old-fashioned evidence. Nothing in this podcast constitute medical advice, but we hope you enjoy it anyway. So, welcome to Core Kinetic Podcast number nine. And as usual, I can't remember if it is number nine, because I'm not always as fastidious as I should be. Um, about keeping to a good podcast schedule but you know you're getting a podcast so let's not worry about it too much Um, and it's free so uh, welcome to podcast number nine and today I have Connor Gleadhill coming uh, to chat to me so hi Connor how are you? Very well Ben thanks so much for having me on mate. I'm waiting one day for a guest to say something like, you bastard, Ben, why have you invited me here? But they're all so polite. I just don't understand it. Um, so, Connor, it's fantastic for you to, to come and have uh, a chat with me. And I think this is this is going to be a really good episode. Not that the other episodes weren't good. And I wouldn't say if they weren't anyway, because I'm far too polite for that. But we are going to be talking about something that I think is really, really relevant to to everybody and lots of different things, um, which is um, the idea of the the two worlds uh, that we see in terms of clinical practice and research. Um, And I think this is, you know, in this modern evidence-based world where people are expected to be evidence-based and, you know, we could debate what that means – but, you know, do these two worlds kind of really, really align? And I think this is what we're going to discuss. And, and maybe there's a bit of tension and maybe there are some expectations and maybe there are um, some things that could be improved and, and we're going to talk about those. Um, and, you know, we might even say, is it something that should be discussed? And, and we would probably say yes and some people might say no, um, but, but we'll get to that. So, look, I, I, as usual, I talk far too much, so I'm going to bring, bring Connor in and uh, just, uh, Connor, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, who you are, you know, these type of things. Yeah, great. Ben, so I'd say thank you for having me on because we were just saying that you got me out of bedtime at home, which is normally a pretty hectic time. So thank you for that once again. Um, all right, so I am Connor. I'm a primarily researcher at the moment, but I've been a physio uh, working publicly and I'm working in Australia. So, so I'm in Australia. I'm an Irish Australian, um, half and half pretty much. I've worked publicly as a physiotherapist and privately. Um, and so I think those two sectors crossover pretty well from Australia to the UK, Ben. But uh, then I ran my own business for a while. And then I worked in a a large law enforcement agency, helping to deal with some really complex patients. But I've always had a mind for, I guess, asking the whys and the hows, and that's what's led me into research. So I've been a researcher for a while now, and I've recently made the, some would say, silly decision to start a PhD full-time. So... Um, after being in the research world for a while, I actually did enjoy it. So 
I thought I'd do as a career. So uh, that's where I'm up to at the moment, Ben. So yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Excited. Well, don't get too excited. We haven't, you know, let's, we'll judge, we'll judge the success, the efficacy at the end. Um, but look, let, let's, let, let's kick in and, uh, and kind of grab the ball by the horns or by the balls or wherever we're, we're going to grab it. So we have these two worlds, don't we? We have this world of research and we have this world of clinical practice. Now you're obviously on the research side. I'm more on this um, uh, clinical practice side. And I suppose, you know, from my perspective, I'm expected to use research to guide the decisions I make clinically. That, that's an expectation that I feel that, that I am, that I have uh, on my kind of shoulders. So, you know, I think a really good place to start maybe is, is how well aligned do you think the world's of clinical practice and research are because we have mountains and mountains of research and sometimes I don't see that much of it as actually being that relevant to me. Yeah, this is great. Ben, I, ben, I think for me, a nice analogy that comes to mind is, you know, that it's almost like two galaxies uh, spinning in different directions and spinning in a course pretty separate from one another and they are meant to work in tandem and, uh, and I think for one another. But at the moment, you know, I think we, we do have to remember, though, where, where we are in the, in the landscape of evidence-based practice. But at the moment, there definitely is, is a lot of tension, as you say, and there's not a lot of synergy, you know, one working for the other and, and vice versa. So I think from my end that there is a lot of a... Um, there's an expectation on clinicians. And so, you know, I was a clinician for, you know, enough years to, to gather that it's still really hard to integrate evidence into practice. And you're right, you know, we're all expected to do it. It's something we have to do. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really hard. So I think maybe one thing that evidence has been very good at is telling us what to do but there's not a lot of high to do it. But I think within that, there is also a failure within the research system to try a different approach. And so I think that's an important thing to, you know, really say as a researcher myself, that researchers are great at um, being researchers <laughs> and not a lot of the time. Uh, actually trying something different and, and communicating and integrating well with clinicians. Yeah, so I, I always I, I always feel like, I you know, I tread a little bit of a fine line here um, because maybe, you know, it, as, a, as more clinically based, um, you know, it's not something that maybe I should discuss, um, you know, that kind of clinical applicability. Um, you know, so so that that that's an interesting internal tension that I have. You know, this this idea actually that kind of this isn't much of my business. I should just suck up whatever I'm told, type of thing. Um, yeah. and, and so that might just be my personal kind of. You know, I'm I'm a very disagreeable character most of the time, and that's just probably a reflection of that. Um, but how do you if if we do see these two things as being quite separate? Um, sometimes, you know, um, how do you think we could bring them together 
a little better? What would be the start of creating some more, you know, in tandem work, some synergy um, that it, within this that that creates uh, or brings these two things together? Yeah, it's so. I mean, firstly, Ben, I, I think it makes sense that there is this feeling of almost a bit of a punitive kind of, you know, uh, message from research and, and the research world that, you know, this is what you do, you should do it. And so I guess from my end, I've completely get where many clinicians are coming from when they say that the research doesn't apply because number one, a lot, a lot of the time, it may not apply in the specific context that people are dealing with. You know, we have very complex people that we deal with. But I think the second part to that is it is actually there is a bit of an affront in being told what to do, no matter, you know, when you're doing it and what you're doing. So I, I think number one is there probably needs to be a bit of a um, a different approach on both sides. And I think this, so this is what, you know, it's not something that this is leading into, Ben, you know, it's the stuff I'm working on at the moment is, um, my PhD is largely around how do we work better together and how do we engage uh, clinicians into research better, but also, you know, I think there needs to be a vice versa there. So researchers into clinical practice a little bit better. And that doesn't mean you want a researcher treating people um, it just means you need researchers understanding the problems that clinicians find important. So, I mean, I think there are many ways to do this. Um, at the moment, uh, you know, my work is in developing a network of physios uh, locally in the Newcastle region that are uh, generating their own research. And what that means is they talk to each other about what problems they find important. And the researcher is in the room and go, oh, right, you know, we never thought that would you know really reach a level of well we wouldn't we wouldn't think of that sort of thing i think maybe that's number one to to have a, a more communication and and some different approaches to actually how you you start the process of generating research so yeah i mean i, I think that sounds like a a really useful thing to do you know find find what are the problems that that people face i, I think that's a, a, a probably a really really big a, a really big thing to start to kind of uh, bring that um bring bring relevance from both sides so do you think that you know because i've i've been told in the past kind of you know if you want to comment on research or be critical about it you should be involved in it you know if you're not involved in it then you can't really comment um you know, do you think that every clinician should be involved um, in research and, and that, you know, that is, is there space for that? Is that feasible? It's a great question. And I mean, I don't, I, I don't think the simple answer is clinicians do more research. And that's coming from, um, you know, someone who's developing a, a network of clinicians that are doing research. I think one of the main overarching uh, concepts here is to have a little bit more collaboration um, on both sides. But I think, you know, potentially what this also involves is clinicians rethinking what research actually 
is for and what it's all about. So, you know, you, you may not want to get involved with, a, you know, the, the next best randomized control trial in, you know, pain education or, or, uh, or whatever. McKenzie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what, what you, I guess the, the important thing about research is it's a rigorous way to answer questions. And if you have questions, and I think this is, this is the typical um, line that researchers might take, you know, if you have questions, bring me your questions and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll answer them in a, you know, re research rigorous way. But I think that's a pretty tired line as well. So I think what I'm talking about is if you've, if you've got questions, then you can, you can definitely integrate research into your clinical practice without actually undertaking, you know, a really rigorous research study. It might just mean you have to rethink what research is all about. I mean, research is about answering questions and doing it in a slightly more controlled way than... Mm. Um, you know what you might do in just clinical practice without thinking it through but it's nothing really much more complicated than that yeah so i guess where i'm going with this ben is i don't think the simple answer is everyone do more research i think clinicians if they are interested in questions you can you can do research and it doesn't doesn't take a, a lot of effort if you have a bit of a rethink about what research actually is but I also think then if there is a if there's an attitude and I think it's a drive from the clinician that you really have no interest in, in it whatsoever, which is fine. There still needs to be a bit of give and take from researchers uh, and let's say a little bit of um, you know going towards a different approach by researchers to actually answer questions that are more relevant. And I think that that you know, that's a key point, Ben, that if people aren't interested in research and a lot of clinicians are just too busy and it's fine if they're not interested in doing research, there probably needs to be a real strong concerted effort over the next few years to uh, make research answer questions that are actually going to influence the um, incorporation of best evidence into practice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that that sounds like a, a really kind of relevant way to to bring those worlds together. And I, I think one of the, there is a problem in that sometimes I think clinically we want research to answer bigger questions than it's possible to do. I think that's one, you know, rather than, you know, be critical of it from just one perspective. And, you know, I like to be critical and call a bit of controversy. Otherwise, no one actually listens to you anyway. But um, you know, I, I think that sometimes one of the problems that I see with integrating research into clinical practice isn't the research. It's actually this idea that we want to answer these clinically. I want one study to answer every question ever asked ever. So, you know, I want to be able to pick up the latest RCT and it tell me exactly how to treat every single one of my patients via one single exercise versus another single exercise. Right. Yeah. So does does a Bulgarian backflip with insoles treat plantar fasciitis better than hopping on one leg, holding your nose or something, you know? And I, then I want to be able to turn around to the world and say, oh, Bulgarian backflips work, you know? Yeah. And that's all you need to do forever with every, every single one of your patients. So, so I think there also needs to be a bit of uh, kind of, you know, 
there needs to be asking better questions, but there also does need to be an appreciation that a lot of the questions that are asked at a research level are quite discreet, aren't they? They're quite small questions often. You, you know, it's like this population, this intervention, and actually, you know, do you think clinicians, if they're not involved in research, do they need to understand it a little better at a basic level? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a very fair point. That, um, and maybe this is going back to this, um, the original, you know, t- conversation is working together a little bit more closely mm. should and hopefully does result in people thinking a little bit more similarly. And, and I think, though, there is definitely a, you know, there's, a, there's a, an important part of that is clinicians understanding what research is. But also more than that, I think, and, and I was listening back to some of your podcasts, Ben, um, Roger Carey was on, and it was, a, you know, the philosophy of science. It's so important, and, and I think mm. that is something that, is currently missing and it's this this practice of what well, is practice of thinking that both parties can learn a lot from each other so scientists and researchers are great at you know i guess understanding what science and research is good for clinicians you know i think there is a, a there, there's a there's a fair bit of work to do there but i think it's more to do with training and, and how we're educated in evidence-based practice um, I think, yes, clinicians need to know what research can and can't do, um, what science is and isn't useful for. So it's not useful for proving your Bulgarian backflips um, are effective. They definitely work, but, Connor. I, I, I know yeah. that this would at least reach a p-value of 0.06. I, I think it would. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go and try some tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Well, that's not randomised. That's not controlled, Connor. What kind of scientist <laughs> are you? Yeah, good point. Okay, <laughs> me and you can both do it. But oh, okay. All right, well, we're, we're going to have to do some kind of randomization here. If it's not randomised, Connor, it's just not worth it. <laughs> yes, and I think so this is a nice point, Ben, that, you know, we have this really, yeah, I guess limited understanding of yeah, when we're trying trying to think about what how an effective how effective a treatment is we we kind of are really limited to you know if it's a randomized controlled trial that's all I'm going to rest my opinion on yes don't get me wrong randomized controlled trials are you know probably the best way to understand if something is effective or not but there's plenty of other things that research can help you with and yeah I think maybe this going back to the point the research is great at telling has been great at telling us what things are to do, you know, so kind of just the effectiveness of things, but not really about how to do it. So that's where researchers and science actually can really start to use rigorous methodology to to help clinicians out as well. So, you know, I mean, I think that's slightly separate from talking really big questions. It's maybe talking more about how implementable is are these treatments in the real world and you know there's there's a science around that which we don't hear a lot about in physio land definitely but in musculoskeletal land we, we don't hear a lot about you know implementation of the things that work and it's, it's a, I mean I think there are things like this that 
Um, researchers can probably help clinicians if there is a little bit more collaboration to understand whether you're talking about a, a knowledge issue, you know, does this work or not? Or whether you're talking about an implementation issue, you know, right, well, so how do we get this to work? So, yeah, I think that those are, you know, some some spin-offs off that point then, off the Bulgarian backflips. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to spin off the Bulgarian backflip. That sounds like a, yeah. you know, that sounds impressive. If I if I if I'm being honest, <laughs> That's, you didn't just do it; you span off it as well. Um, you know, and I, I really like the point you make there. You bring up what Roger discussed, um, which is not just what are research methods, you know, and that's what I learned a couple of times at university, undergrad and postgrad, um, was, you know, I learned research methods to perform a research study as part of my undergrad and then master's. Um, but I didn't learn very much about the philosophy of what it actually all meant if that makes sense. I just learned it as a, a bunch of rules and, you know, contingency tables and stats and all of these kind of things. Uh, and I, you know, uh, and uh, and I think that's Im- important. So, you know, a lot of the research stuff, and I'm quite interested in, in the world of, uh, you know, um, understanding research better. I wouldn't describe myself as, as doing it, you know, but I would certainly describe myself as having an interest in the way that it's done and, and interpreting it. Um. Mm. And I, I think that what we really need, um, and, you know, I, I am full of opinions, so, so you know, don't take it too literally. But a lot of the research stuff that I read is aimed at doing research um, by researchers and statisticians in terms of research methods and not actually understanding research. And I think there's a difference between actually doing it and using methods and then picking up a paper and consuming it and I think we could yeah. be better at consuming. Um, how do you think researchers could help with not just doing it, but also consuming it for the for the clinician? Yeah, so the, I think this, you know, this nicely goes back to the, you know, the two different galaxies spinning off and doing, you know, completely different trajectories. And so I think researchers are, yeah, as you say, really good at talking to each other as a community. It's, you know, it's a very social exercise like clinical practices but as a community talking about how to do it better um so i think this idea of consuming research better it's not so it's you know that's not rocket science i don't think in itself ben i mean there there obviously is a lot of you know well there would be some training that researchers can deliver on you know critical appraisal and research methods and I think that's that's a low bar, you know, that's quite low-hanging fruit for for researchers and clinicians if you're talking to each other together. And that's probably something that's pretty you can we can do pretty quickly. But I think there might be more around consuming research um, and applying research. So I think consuming research, you know, there, there probably is a an aspect of the philosophy of what you're actually using and that, that that's hard training but i think that goes back to university training and and you know undergraduate um evidence-based practice training how do you actually use it and what are the you know what can you use it for and and then um you know what can you use it for i think there is an idea around applying evidence though in practice that's really difficult because you've got all these 
issues that go into that. And, you know, part of that, the, the issues are on the side of research failures. Research typically isn't that relevant. Um, and, you know, I think clinicians find that it isn't that relevant because you probably are talking in talking past each other a little bit with the problems that you're, you're dealing with. Um, but I think an, another important point is that research isn't that implementable. So the reporting of research and, and typical reporting in trials is, is pretty, pretty bad. And there's a couple of nice reviews. There's one by um, Aidan Cashin uh, and the folks at Neura, who, who they've done a nice review lately on that, so last year. And there's a nice review by my colleagues that, are, that is looking at um, intervention reporting in exercise trials and, and safe to say it's it's fairly you know it's poor so that's hard to know what to do when studies don't actually tell you what they're doing and so I think this this is maybe going into the application side of things been a bit but um, you know I think then you're also talking in clinical practice you're talking about the competing demands of time and and money and you know if I run a business then how do I actually implement this treatment that, you know, goes over, you know, six weeks and has a large effect size, but actually that's not, you know, retaining patients for me and, and, and things like that nature. You know, there are these real world considerations in the application of research that I think are just not, that there's really limited information about these at the moment. And I think that's part of the exciting stuff for me and then that's that's what i'm interested in is really finding out how do we apply this stuff well um and i think so we're moving away from the consuming side of things ben um that's fine buddy you you, you backflip away i'm not bothered i'm just we're just rolling with it you go off piste freestyle whatever you need to do <laughs> yeah so i guess i think the, the consuming of research is it's little but actually, so some of that stuff that we're finding out is that the consuming of research is, we have so, yes, there's a lot of information out there. Um, but typically, you know, young clinicians these days, it, it's, it's fairly easy to jump on, you know, different online platforms. I won't mention, you know, the, the ones that you can get the PDFs downloaded for free without going through the paywall. And, you know, I think paywalls and, and issues like that, there are there issues, but there are workarounds and they're fairly well established. So I think um, the consuming of research, that's not so much of a big issue as the applying of research. It's mm -hmm. the application in the real world. It's a real issue. Yeah. And it's not given enough credence by researchers. Yeah, I mean, I look. I think that sometimes the, the the real world consumption and application is: does exercise work? Does manual therapy work on a you know on an Instagram slide? You know, and and that's not, and that might be a little bit of a failure on the clinical side to to not actually you know you people are expecting as I, as I kind of alluded to before, people are expecting the answers to be really overarching. You know, a, a paper's going to say you know, th this treatment works with this population and this dosage, you know, um, delivered over this period of time at this interval, at this, not intensity, because that's, that's never talked about intensity, but you understand. And I think that, you know, often that doesn't answer the question of things like treatment fidelity, 
you know, which is what you're talking about. The implementation is that, you know, actually exercise, we can never say exercise works or manual therapy doesn't work because it depends on who it's being applied to, how much is being applied. Does that reflect what the question was asked in the research paper? Um, and, may, you know, maybe that's a real problem here is that we, you know, clinically we expect the big questions to be answered and sometimes the science only answers the little questions, um, you know, and, and, that, and that's problematic. But look, let's move into um, the evidence practice gap. So, you know, one of the things that I, I always say, and again, I've got a lot to say, so let's not worry too much about me. But, you know, I think there's lots of guidelines, but I don't think there's lots of guidance. Uh, and I think that probably alludes a little bit to, to, to what you're saying, is maybe clinicians don't implement things because they just don't know how to implement them. And, yeah. and I think fundamentally what I see here is a real parallel to patient-centered care or person-centered care in that, you know, with patients, they don't exercise, not because they don't know it's not good for them. They might not do it. It's because they don't know how and when and what to do. It's the implementation side of it's the problem, the planning side. So how look, how do we improve this then? You know, this is this is your topic, sir. Go, you know, solve all the problems, please. Solve it all. No yeah, pressure. So, no, that's a great point, Ben. Um, in short, yeah, I'm just going to have to say um, we don't know yet. No. Um, <laughs> More research is required. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> You make a really good point about the consumer. I'll just go back to that. I think that that's absolutely perfect. I think, you know, if people are getting their information from Instagram slides and, and you know, you know, short, you know, shortened up kind of things and, and no one's actually looking at the research, that is an issue, definitely. But, no, so we'll, we'll go into the application. I think number one would be to, you know, actually collectively – uh, look together at the issues. You know, there are specific issues. We talked about those. So, you know, I think research, there's a lot of bio research that isn't reported well. It's hard to do. It's not relevant. But clinicians, yes, you, you bang on, Ben, that there, there may be some work to do in actually understanding what you can and can't take from research and, and the failures of it and or, or the... Um, not the failures of research, but the specific nature of it, what, what you can and can't generalise, right? So I think going into how we can implement things better is probably going back to talking together or communicating better together and coming up with projects or, or starting with questions that are probably a little bit more relevant to actually improving the overall standard of care, you know, evidence-based practice has been around for a long time and the standard of care has yet to be um, really markedly changed and you know that that's been a long time with evidence-based recommendations and so I think that in itself is maybe a good way of saying that the, the passive um, practice of just putting out guidelines is not going to close the evidence practice gap anytime soon and new things are needed. Um, and, and I think then, yes, one of these would be to talk a little bit more together, to collaborate more together and actually ask questions that both parties have some investment in. 
mm. and can both find relevant. But I think, you know, because the consumers of research evidence is the clinician, I think that that's probably the first step that it, it needs to start with a clinician finding um, a problem relevant. And so I think that in itself may solve, you know, issues around research waste and not, not completely solve issues around research waste, but that has implications on, you know, research waste and, and issues like that that are big issues in the research world. Um, but I think that, that's probably number one, really low-hanging fruit, collaborate more together and, and talk uh, more together and ask more relevant questions together. And it sounds very... Um, cliche, but but I think it's you know I think it's pretty simple you know it's it's hard, but it would be you know I guess a straight line that you can walk together rather than at the moment there's there's not a lot happening um, together. I think um, that more and and different things should happen and need to happen, but at the moment Ben yeah I'm going to go back to the answer of we don't know. <laughs> Uh, and that's probably the, that's the <laughs> Connor, I'm getting it. I think you're a secret hippie. All this collaboration <laughs> and this is, you know, this is this podcast is like a mini Woodstock, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I'm going to pull out a it message and we can have some LSD <laughs> together. Um, you know, and, and look, let's let's just get you know really really in tune with ourselves. Um, you, but I do see and listening to this, it really remind you know I have a real interest in in person-centered care. You know, uh, I'm not very good at, you know, maybe my one skill as a clinician has always been in that I'm quite relaxed and chatty and, you know, I see a real value in that kind of stuff. Other people might just call it bullshit and I'd probably agree critically. Um, but, I, you know, the sense that I get in terms of the problems that I'm trying to solve clinically with patients really is a lot like the problems maybe that we could solve between research and clinical practice. You know, there are real parallels here that, they, you know, probably requires more listening than telling, doesn't it, in a way? You know, and the way that we communicate with each other, um, you know, is it, it, probably really, really important. And, you know, I, I think we should probably, you know, I think maybe sometimes they're seen as a hierarchy, isn't it, from, you know, research, clinical practice, patient at the bottom. You know, th yeah. this kind of, you know, hierarchy. And I actually think we should make that a little flatter. You know where we where we actually see that from a uh, moving left to right rather than top to bottom, um, if that yeah. makes sense. And I, I think there's probably uh, there's there's probably real value in that, but it does take changing perspectives. And a lot of us are under pressure in terms of time and and careers, uh, etc. But I, I, you know this idea of collaboration. All right, look, I'm going to go straight in, Connor. Give give me some ways that. That, that this collaboration could happen. Let's move from big big messages to implementation. How tomorrow? How tomorrow can could could we improve some of this connection that that we're discussing? Yeah, okay, so to connect with researchers more. Um, they, okay, so that that's quite simple, right? So to connect with researchers more is to, to you know I guess do what you do very well, Ben, is to connect with um, you know researchers more so that, that's pretty easy right and but I think so I'll, I'll just do a little you know shameless plug at the moment something that is interesting is what we're working on is developing a network where there is a really nice as you say flat structure 
between researchers and clinicians. And, and so, so this is something we're, we're seeing if it works, essentially. And, and so this could be something to, to look to and, you know, even um, start your own if, if it's, um, again, nothing is going to be 100% successful, right? And, and that's not what this is. It's, it's probably more talking about stuff that would actually create some more collaboration together. I mean, okay, so pretty simple, you know, strike up a relationship with a researcher you like. And I think that's always valued by researchers. Um, and, and I think that's actually, you know, that's how I, that's how I got started as a researcher. Is I, I was a clinician and I contacted um, a well, you know, established researcher who does some great stuff, Chris Williams. So actually I would give him a, give him a nice uh, pat on the back for that one. So, I mean, I think, there are some really nice ways to strike up relationships that aren't too um, out of the blue for people. Now, talking about more specific implementation issues. Can then, I, I can think- I, I'm going to interrupt you one sec, sir, and I'm going to apologise yeah. for interrupting you. So this is something <laughs> that's been said to, to me before. You know, um, yeah. is that a one, is, is that, you know, it, it's the idea of, if you're a clinician you, and you are interested in research, you need to be reaching out. You need to be making contact. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you slightly. Um, you know, uh, and, and I'm fine with being an arsehole here. It's fine. I've, you know, I've done it a lot. So, you know, is that a flat hierarchy? You just, do you see what I mean? Is the onus here? Is the onus on the clinician? Because I've heard this and I've had this directed at me. If I want to have any interaction with research, if I, if I, you know, if I want to critique something or have any input into this world, it is on me to reach, to reach out. Now, I'm not yeah. saying, you know, that 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 is a bad thing, um, but is the, should there be something that goes in the other direction as well? Yeah. Okay, absolutely, Ben. And a hundred percent, I would say that needs to change. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, you, you, you're absolutely bang on. It tends to be a really stock standard, well-trodden line. So you know, strike up a relationship with your local researchers. And so, absolutely, need to change. I think some, a nice kind of analogy for this is is to when we talk about kind of the guidelines and the evidence praise, you know. Um, the evidence-based guidelines, the, the practice recommendations that are kind of uh, put down from on high by um, research and the, the world of research. You know, I think what that is is a really one-dimensional solution to a hugely complex problem. So an analogy is that if you are designing a building with, um, you know, ex- exits, so fire exits, and you know what you what you don't do with that is just to um, design a horrible building and then if there's a fire in the building just leave people to get out of the building and uh, you know every man for themselves that problem is solved by a lot of specific design that brings into human behavior and lots of other complex you know um, elements coming together to actually create the outcome that is desired, that people are safe. And so it's a, it's a funny analogy, but I guess I think it's quite useful that these problems, the problem of actually implementing research and implementing evidence and improving care needs to have a lot more of a, you know, multi-dimensional 
thought process going into it. And you're bang on, like this, this idea of if you're interested in research, go and talk to your local researcher. That's the same one dimensional line that um, it hasn't really been working that well to actually, you know, do what the intended outcome of research evidence is, which is improve care. Yeah, so, yeah a- absolutely. On. It's a, it, you know, and look, some people will turn around and say, "Who, who, who is Ben to say that?" And look, I, I'll, I'll wear that one. You know, that that that's probably something that that you know I can hear ringing in a few ears. How dare someone ask that question who's not involved in research? Fine, I, I, I'll take it. But maybe it's a little bit like getting people to move more. That it's maybe environmental as well, in terms of you know people don't exercise because they don't have time. But if we built things into our environments and societally that generated, you know, look, Amsterdam is a wonderful place for cycling. Why? Because there's lots of bikes and cycle lanes. You know, why is London yeah. not good for cycling and lots of cyclists get killed? Because it ain't good for it. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes we expect individuals to reach out and change things that probably need to be changed at a systemic level. Um you know, and, you know, again, it's above my pay grade to say how that should happen, why it should happen, all of these other things. But if we don't have these discussions, then, you know, is there ever going to be any form of change? And some people may sit down and say, well, there doesn't need to be any change. You just need to do what we tell you to do. Um, you know, and that and that might be an opinion. So, look, here we go. You know, let's let's come to the final point, which is kind of this idea of research, um, researcher or clinician or both. And then I'm going to add in another category because I think there's this idea of being a researcher, a clinician, or a bit of both. But is there this other category, which is clinicians who consume and use research? (laughs) Do you you see what I mean? And and I think that's probably one of the most, you know, this category whereby you may not be involved in research and, and designing experiments and conducting experiments, but you are a good critical thinker who is able to utilize research really well. So I even think sometimes this idea of researcher, clinician, research clinician is not reflective of what happens in a clinic. Yeah, yeah, this is perfect because it's stuff we've explored. I think you know, there's ideas that having more research integrated into a clinical pathway like they do in you know medicine, is going to improve the standard of care. And, and I think there are a lot of assumptions there that, uh, you know, medicine that isn't the beacon of, of a, you know, career that provides the best possible care at, at all times. And, you know, I think this speaks to the idea that just getting clinicians to do more research will improve practice. And, and you know, I think... That's that's a possibility. It may do, but it also. I'm sure. I'm sure it would to some degree. Yeah, I mean, again, I think healthily, I would really doubt that, and that's coming from someone who's who's establishing a network where clinicians are doing research. I think what what I'm, you know, what we're doing is, you know, trying to just innovate and trying to do something new. So I think this is creating a flat structure, like you're talking about. Going back to the clinician researcher thing, Ben, I think, yes, um, I think it's absolutely, you know, the point that you have clinicians, well-meaning clinicians that are just being good clinicians and and providing high-value evidence-based care. 
And I think what needs to be probably accounted for there is there's, there may be no need for them to, you know, be a researcher as well. So I think what I'm getting to is that we go back to this hippie point, Ben, that if possibly... <laughs> so I've, got, I've, I've got a massive joint that I'm smoking at the moment. <laughs> you can't see this in the world of, um, you know, in the, in the world of the podcast, but I am doing it. But don't report me. <laughs> So I, I think, again, if there's just more appreciation for where both worlds are, are coming from and where the priorities are in, in both worlds. Um, you know, and I think there's a really important way that researchers need to have, have a good look at how they're doing things and, and what they're doing, but then come together and, as you just put, Ben, you know, creating some of these environmental contextual factors like the, the way you design a building to help people escape without dying you know so yeah i think these are things that need to be thought about but uh yeah I, i'll put it in your words ben they're probably above my pay grade um but that's what we're finding out it's 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 great yeah yeah look, and I, you know I, I i hope i haven't posed too many of my own kind of questions here in a way that you know I, maybe they're, they're not always simply answerable, but I really like the building analogy in terms of how do we design, you know, and again, does it come back to, to systems and institutions and these kind of things, you know, which is the biggest problem that we face as human beings to change, isn't it? Whether it's, um, you know, wh wh whether that comes back to, you know, getting diversity within different environments and, you know, socioeconomics and all of these things are what we're finding out now you know, so much of what happens isn't just individually based, is it? You know, it's based on where you're born, the colour of your skin, your socioeconomic class, you know, all of these different things. And uh, and that's a, uh, uh, that's a real challenge. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I think that the extra challenge is not to, because I think this is quite easy, is to throw up your hands and say that, well, you know, it's a systemic issue. Yeah. And so systems, systems can change, you know, and systems do change. So I think that's the extra challenge is knowing how and, and, and what to do individually. And then, you know, even if that can be, you know, uh, it emerge as this collective system-wide change, if someone, you know, if one domino falls, you know, these are, these are complex things. We're talking about actually really complex statistical concepts when we're talking about like changing, emerging, you know, uh, things when we've got a system-wide issue, but it's possible, I guess. That's the thing. Yeah, you know, another. I think the parallel again comes back to we have big societal messages around smoking and exercise, yeah. but we still have individual contact with patients that count. You know, so 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 change happens. You know, and again, you're 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 kind of uh, living living this because you are someone who's implementing change and doing change, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to come and, and discuss things with you because you're a you're a great example of that. Uh, and so I think we, you know, I think you make a great point. Is sometimes, you know, let's take the BPS model and you know the whole social factors, and people might throw their hands up and say, "Well, I can't affect the social factors; they're non-modifiable." But you might be able to help your patient navigate their own social environment. 
and and that can be really powerful. So so we need kind of change at multiple levels, don't we? Um, we need yeah. clinicians to change perspectives. We need researchers to change perspectives. We need to value voices on both sides. Um, and I think, you know, again, I, I just see so many parallels with so many other things. Yeah. Oh, this is getting very hippie right now, Ben, because I'm just agreeing and nodding and this is this is like a love in at the moment. It's so. the LSD, buddy. It's the LSD. <laughs> I've got like I've I've got like I, I've got a peace pipe. I've got a small fire burning. Um, I've got bell bottoms on. This we, we've got the whole nine yards going on here, sir. Yeah. <laughs> well, look. Um, I, I think we've got to. You know, we've been talking for a while, and I think we've got some uh, some really good chat going. And I think we've got two two different perspectives. And uh, you know, I I've probably talked a bit too much today, so I, I apologise for that. But I think that. Um, you know, we, we've we've had a really good discussion, and I think I, I really thank you for your insights and, and also for kind of your efforts in in trying to create some of that change. Because I, I suppose sometimes I, I feel like I commentate a lot. Um, I'm great at talking about things, um, you know, and maybe there is more onus on everyone to to do things rather than just talk about it. Um, but Connor, thank you so much for coming coming on, for sharing your opinions, for sharing your thoughts. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. A pleasure, Ben. And um, I'll just make a real point that I'm not, it's not just me making change. I'm, you know, I'm thankful to work with a whole bunch of fantastic clinicians and um, some wonderful people like New South Wales Regional Health Partners and um, obviously the people um, that are my supervisors in, in what I'm doing. So um, Chris Williams, Steve Camper, and uh, Hope and Lee. So um, mate, no, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've been, um, yes, very, very excited to chat to you, mate. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot, lot more about you uh, in the future. So, Connor, thank you so much. Um, and that kind of wraps up episode nine. You have been listening to the Core Kinetic Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing